can't believe I said her name wrong. <laughs> yeah, I said it. I think I said it the first time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. She's, pr- she's probably a lot like me in that I don't even care. Nobody gets my last name I, ever. I'm, I'm ever. sure I care more. I'm, I'm sure I care more than anyone else, but I hate it when I someone mispronounces my name too. So, what do we think about intro? <laughs> I can't remember. What did we record last time? I can't remember. I don't know, Ian. What, what did we record last time? I don't know, Adame. What do you want to do? <laughs> My name's Ian McShane. I'm VP of Strategy here at Arctic Wolf. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam Marais, CISO at Arctic Wolf. This is the Challenge Accepted podcast, and today we're joined by Kirsten Bay, CEO and co-founder of Cyurance. So when I think of cyber insurance, I genuinely think of ransomware and incident response first. Is that the same with you, Adam? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what you think of when you're like, I want, I need this as an organization. So uh, you know, I need to protect myself against the big breach and getting mm-hmm. the you know IR company in here. That's what you think of. Yeah, and so. That's why I particularly enjoyed this podcast because I learned once again that Ian does not know everything. Yeah, I mean, I learned I learned a ton too, and honestly, I probably could have keep talking for another you know thirty forty minutes on this topic, or maybe yeah. longer. I just, I find it very fascinating. Uh, it was just opened up to me, like you said, referring to something you learned. Like it's just opened up to me a whole world that uh, yeah. I never really thought that much about. It was great. So today we're going to talk about insurance things like business continuity, we're going to talk about gaming systems, and we're going to talk about supply chain. So without further ado, let's get into it. So one of the one of the things I hear most about at the moment outside of machine learning and AI is probably cyber insurance. I hear about it from, from customers, I hear about it from marketing, I see it driving down the street, I see billboards that talk about cyber insurance. And Adam, as a CISO, are you as aware of, of cyber insurance these days, it seems like something that's popped up from nowhere in the past two, three or so years. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's been something that we've actually cared about for longer than that. But now it's sort of in, uh, I think, the popular world, the zeitgeist, as it will. Uh, it's a very important part of your security program to make sure you have this level of protection against the costs when, you know, if you unfortunately face a breach, they can also help bring resources, help make sure you have, you know, different outside vendors that can come help you, like incident response firms and things like that. It's a great partnership to form as you're, you know, creating your entire security program. And it can also really help small, medium businesses as well that don't have as many security resources. I think maybe, and maybe we can get into this, but I think one of the reasons it's become more popular to talk about was uh, the rising cost over the last several mm-hmm. years of cyber insurance. Driven by ransomware um, and things like that, right? Absolutely. Well, and, you know, and then, of course, we all read the stories in the news of like, you know, insurance policies not paying out. And there's things like that, that, you know, of concerned people, of course, those are, those are uh, outlier cases, but those are the ones that make the news, right? So that makes people yeah. talk and think about it. So uh, for all those reasons, I think it's uh, something that people are talking about. Obviously, it's very, very important. Yeah, I, I hear about it, like I said, a, a lot. I hear about the rates going up. I hear about the attractiveness for insurability of clients is a new phrase that, that has come up over the past year, which is an interesting one. And so I think it's great to have um, to be joined today by Kirsten Bay of Cyurance, uh, the CEO and co-founder of Cyurance, in fact. Hey, Kirsten, excuse me, how are you? 
Good, good. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see you today. Yeah, no, nice one. So obviously you're, you're going to be our expert today in, in cyber insurance. But before we get into that, what one of the things selfishly I'm always really interested in is people's path to working in and around cybersecurity. So would you mind maybe telling us a little bit about, about yourself and how how you got to, to where you are today with cyber insurance and cybersecurity? Yes, well, it, um, it's always, as most people are at this um, mature stage of our careers, a circuitous route, but I like to say that I'm a serial student. I started my life in finance and supply chain risk analytics. So, you know, I looked at the world of, of how do we measure and understand risk to the enterprise, whether that's through uh, supply chain risk, not like cyber supply chain risk, but true what happens, like we all know, just happened in 2020, what happens when the supply chain stops working and how do we manage mm -hmm. our businesses around that? And then I also worked on um, protecting portfolios for in, in, in finance around how do we measure risk and, and develop intangible assets modeling for those types of portfolios. So I got into cybersecurity because I'm sure you're like, well, how does this happen? Anything to do with security. Um, because I started looking at, well, how do we value data for loss? And so someone came to me one day and said, how do we do that? And I said, I don't know anything about security. <laughs> that was a long time ago now. So I know actually lots of things about security. That was almost 18 years ago. And so it intrigued me because it is a really important question, one that we struggle with still today. But from there, I got involved in government working groups to really identify how we start to prioritize and understand that modeling, as well as then how do we integrate things like threat intelligence. And so I started working in threat intelligence to understand how we develop risk curve analysis around that type of modeling, and then started running threat detection companies. How do we integrate threat detection to contextualize something we talk a lot about in security? How do we contextualize that data to be actionable? And then on and on until we got here to Cyshurance where I wanted to marry the two, my love of finance and love of security into something that really can bring, I know it sounds kind of goofy, but it's my passion, you'll find. Not, not, not um, at all, not at all. I, really I, love the, I, love the, I love the phrase <laughs> of loving security, but you might be the first person I've ever heard that said, I love, I love finance. <laughs> well, I know it's a little strange. And I think that we can bring those things together to really make a difference for companies. And, and that's the thing for me is how do we develop this integrated approach to integrate security and, and really insurance, cyber insurance, so that people understand the value, as Adam said, does it really pay? How do we make sure it pays? How do we get people the proper ratings that you invest in security? Should you get a, a discount? All of those things for me are, are very intriguing and, and the value that we're trying to bring to the market and ask those hard questions. Perfect. So I guess a bit more intrusively with your current job, so, you know, top of the chain, if you like, one of the co-founders for, for a cyber insurance company or Cyshurance, what does a typical working day look for you now? I mean, maybe it's better to start with what does Cyshurance actually do? Mm -hmm. Well, the thing that we do that's a bit different than other cyber insurance providers is that we provide layered insurance coverage around cyber risks. And what that means is that we do that through the channel. So we do that for security product services and, and providers. So that can be managed services, managed security services, or service organizations like managed detection and response. And what we try to do is look at how well those solutions perform and then develop layered security where or layered insurance coverage where we're able to provide a, a certification around those products so that your customers can benefit from that with the financial protection. And then layered 
insurance capabilities. So it would be sort of a flat fee insurance program that we have that essentially pre-qualifies organizations. So what we're trying to do is remove attestations and actually prove what people are doing in their organizations and show the efficacy of those solutions in those organizations. Oh, that's really amazing. That's great. And I'm, I really want to dig into some of this, especially with uh, you talking about risk. I love that. That's, you know, a passion of mine to run a security program motivated and seen through the lens of risk rather than just what's the latest thing that happened or your compliance mm-hmm. program. So I love to hear that. But I, I do want to scratch the surface or just go a little bit beneath the surface of what you just said. Um so help help maybe there maybe some folks listening to our podcast that are, are new to the whole idea of cyber insurance. So maybe just taking a step back and talking about, you know, what what does it do? What is it like? So you you get it as an organization, what does it provide? Like what what is the purpose of it? What why do you need it? And then, you know, if bad things happen, what does it do to help you? I think most people understand, you know, like car insurance and things like that. So uh help us understand uh cyber insurance. Well, cyber insurance, I like to refer as is general liability insurance for your operational digital core. So that's how I like to think about it. And, you know, for me, it's it's not just about malicious events, although that's predominantly what people think of when they think of cyber insurance. And certainly that's the key coverage point that it, it manages. So as you said, that's ransomware. It could be malicious intrusion where there's credential theft and now you've lost records. And so it's breach notification, it's compliance management, it's you touched upon this at the very beginning. It's about providing remediation and recovery services and, and paying for those things. If, if need be, negotiating that ransom and actually paying for it. So those are, are the big block components that are really important. Even things like funds transfer fraud, where you know the age-old, I'm the CEO and I want you to send me you know, $50,000 of the car because that happens a lot, um, you know, those types of things. But the other part of it is, and this is something that I think is very important to call out, is also that it is business continuity insurance. So it covers broadly things like you have network downtime, you might have AWS might go down. And if it's down for more than eight or 12 hours, depending on your policy, you actually have coverage that will kick in to support you if you have um, revenue loss for that type of incident. So, or you have a, an extended power outage where you can't process credit cards, as an example. So, accidental huh. deletion of data. So, there there are broader coverages, um, also media liability coverage, if you're sued for an online trademark infringement, things like that. So, it's, these are the components of these, these solutions that many organizations aren't aware exist, but very critical to broadly running your operational digital core. That's that's fascinating, and I feel like I feel like such an idiot because I never really considered the applicability of cyber insurance to something outside of a point in time incident, like you say, AWS coverage, GCP, Azure are available as well. That just keeping that business running is a really keeping that um, you know the business continuity running is a really interesting aspect. How often do organisations come to you looking for that over cyber insurance for let's say ransomware, just for the sake of argument? Well, it's not as often as I would wish for in the sense of thinking broadly about the things that we need to do to manage the the availability of an organization. And that's really the key. And the key is as we move forward, as you think about the significant changes that we have been through as a 
is an economy in a society where everyone is now pretty much reliant on some part of that footprint being protected and being operational. And those are the things, and you can imagine now, people have zero tolerance for, I go to this website, I want to buy a thing, and if it's down, I'm going somewhere else, right? And so exactly. it's, it's yeah. really trying to protect for those types of incidents. And so it's, it's broad in that sense. So, yeah, so I got a, a, a question here. So if, if you're thinking about, if you're a company thinking about insurance, I mean, oftentimes, um, and now I'm getting into like, you know, being kind of a customer here, but if you're thinking about insurance and you're a company and so like, you know, if I'm looking for life insurance, right, there's someone that comes out to my house or I go to the doctor's office and they do blood pressure and blood work. And, you know, basically they put me on some actuary tables and say, how long is this guy likely to live and how healthy? And then they kind of base a policy on that. What is there an equivalent of that um, that happens when people are coming for cyber insurance? And what are those based on? Well, there is that type of data out there, although it's very young. I mean, when you think about car data, life data, I mean, there there are troves of amounts of data that I like to say, you know, I live I live in New York City, right? And you know, the there's some table out there somewhere that will determine how often a car accident will happen in the intersection on which I live, right? So they're very, they know a lot of things and it's pretty good at being predictive. Um, when it comes to cyber risk, there are two components. One is that the body of data is not as high. And also just because of the years that we've had to collect it, but there's the, also there's the relationship to what question, because claims don't necessarily equal incidents. So you can measure how many times a car goes through an intersection, how many times that car runs a red light, how many times cars run a, or a yellow light, and how many times that results in an accident, right? We have, it's pretty quantitative. The challenge with cyber is that it's also evolving. And that's the other thing that we refer to as the silent cyber risk, which is what are the factors and variables we hadn't considered that should be related to a particular coverage point or an exclusion point. And so those are the things that create what we see in this market. We refer to as a hard market or a frothy market, but a market that's trying to normalize itself. And we're getting better, but but the in relationship to what question is the most important one to me, which is if there's some type of malware that results in a ransom attack and we go, oh my gosh, that was a really terrible attack. And it, well, was it? I mean, well, yes, because we saw 10% or 20% of our insurers have a full limit loss, meaning they hit the entire limit of their policy. And so therefore that's a bad event. But it could be that there were 50 million different organizations that had that malware but didn't have a full scale loss or any loss. And those are the things that I think we, we are working on trying to understand so that we can price better, be more efficient, and hard markets often happen in these moments when a, when a market's trying to normalize itself. Yeah, I think I've I've definitely seen that as I've you know talked with different insurance organizations as a customer. It seems like the questions that they ask a company to answer are pretty different, and can even be different from year to year. You know, it can be like how many records of PII do you hold, but it could also be how many servers you. I mean, there's just all kinds of questions that they ask, and they don't appear to be that consistent and that what i think would would uh belie what you're talking about where the industry is young enough that it's still trying to figure out what are the key indicators that we need to ask people about what are the key pieces of information we need to be able to understand the risk of this organization do i have that right absolutely and and if you were to apply 
like a similar analogy to the, the cars again, when you take credit score, driving record, type of car, you start to develop a picture of that risk profile of that particular that person, right? And so that's the thing, to your point, Adam, is what are those factors that start to create fidelity in the risk picture? Right now, we have a very pixelated risk picture, so we kind of know what it looks like, but it's not super clear, and it can change. So it's changing year by year. I'm just trying to, I know there's probably a bunch of different analogies. We already heard about the, the healthcare one, and you know, now we're talking about the driving one. But if I think about car insurance, in, certainly in the UK, because that's where I've got the majority of the experience, you can kind of game the system and get the same coverage with the same level of truth, but changing things around, like assigning different people to different cars or you know, assigning the, a different job title to what you do for a living can have an impact on what you do, even if it's descriptive enough that it, it's still relevant. Is that the case in cyber insurance too, that you, companies can be creative about how they report? Or is it a case of you're always going to, as the insurer, you're always going to ask for receipts. So whatever they say, you know, needs to match what they put down. Well, it needs to match, but to the point that was made earlier, that's where some of these friction points come in around coverage, right? Because one might, one, and there's, there's, there are two schools. One is the, I thought we were doing it. I thought we had MFA. Well, we did, but we mm -hmm. didn't have it as farly, as, as farly as broadly implemented as we thought that we did. Um, and then the other mm -hmm. is, we're not doing it, but, you know, catch me if you can, right? And, and, and that's <laughs> yeah. what, and as it turns out, there, people are being caught and, and, it, and those requirements are being enforced and being monitored, which is really for us the thing that we want to be able to show is continuous compliance. Mm -hmm. But the other piece that, that concerns me is, is that we now have something like a SOC 2 event or some of the other kind of compliance standards that we're driving where I have people come to me and go, well, I need to do these things because what it says here on my application, I'm like, whoa, 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 don't set your security posture based on an insurance application. That's like the worst thing you could right. do, right? You need to do your good care and feeding of your, your security posture and you'll automatically check those boxes. So don't let that policy be the driver, that application be the driver of what you think is important to do in your organization, because at this point, it will change depending upon the bad things that happened in the year prior and the most prevalent of those bad things. Is, is there an example you can give of something that shifted dramatically year on year? Like maybe it wasn't a big deal one year and then the next year it was the most important factor in terms of risk scoring? Well, one that it's not necessarily an evolution, but it's an absolute now, and that is MFA. Like, literally, I have not seen a policy that will allow you to be insured without that in place. And it's like I, I refer to some of these things as cyber seatbelts, right? You, you just, you, you can't, every, yes. every state, every country, every everybody requires you to wear a seatbelt, right? And there are good reasons for that. And so those are things that just help dramatically change that risk posture. But but what we find is that it might be turned on, but then the servers didn't have it. And so there was, you know, different ways someone got in. So it, it can be kind of a complex ball in some ways, but that's one that, that certainly um, is a big one. And then the others are related like to remote access management and, and the monitoring and, and like the scanning that organizations, like carrier organizations will do where they will look for those ports because it's such a concern that those exist. 
So let me let me ask this question: What what are you or what is common for cyber insurance companies to do in a trust but verify model? Right. So company can say, "Yeah, we got MFA, we got it all day long." Right? You know, they, they don't, and obviously, it's it behooves the insurance companies to kind of verify what what their uh, policyholders are telling them. So what what is common practice to do? Because that could be very labor and time intensive to do, like you know, uh-huh. say penetration test all of the. In, you know, insured. But so what, what's kind of common practice there across the industry? Well, well, typically these are outside the firewall scans that are being run. And, you know, there are, as you know, certain degrees of sophistication and what those scans will show depending on which one and how much and how little and, and all that good stuff. But they're looking for the big blocks, you know, whether you have open access to organizations. So certainly when people have RMM, remote access management or remote desktop tools running. And obviously I, I've had some that have been flagged and it says, you know, there's an RDP tool running and it's internet facing. And it's like, is there another kind of RDP tool that isn't internet facing? It has to be internet facing, right? So, you know, so sometimes those get thrown as flags when, you know, primarily they want someone to report back. Yes, we actually do have those locked down. You can't access them without you know, certain controls in place. But those are the things that cause the most consternation. And so they're looking for easy, low-hanging fruit for access into an organization that could be leveraged. So we've already ascertained that, you know, at this point in time, cyber insurance is is basically critical for, for every organization. And there's a baseline of security for it. But you could argue that larger organizations, or I could argue that larger organizations have kind of got an unfair advantage. They're more likely to have these kind of tools implemented already, or at least the ability to go and procure them and deploy them. So how does how does cyber insurance differ by organizational size? So, from, you know, we're talking immature from a security standpoint, maybe you know, a small team, one person that's responsible for IT. How do you see your industry working with that side of, of cyber? Well, I would say that's the biggest change that I've seen across the board are all these organizations trying to service that sort of customer, um, either providing them different types of tools, providing them monitoring, um, providing them you know, a, a tools and monitoring, it, it really depends, and to try and help solve that problem. I, I would say that one of the challenges that exists on the other side is still convincing smaller organizations that they are at risk. Right. And this is something that you know, oh, yeah. I, I you know the well, you know, I'm nobody has anything I want. And it's like, oh, okay, we'll see. But in <laughs> so it's the challenge of getting people to understand that while they may not be the target of a targeting attack, certainly there are targets of opportunity. And and that can be anybody. And so you know, as a stat, something to be aware of when we started measuring these things. Starting in 2012, when we hit 2021, organizations that had less than $25 million in annual revenue had experienced like 1,400% increase in claims activity versus other organizations. I mean, by an order of magnitude Uh more than anyone who was 50 million or 500 million or whatever. And so those are two indicators. One is, is that, to your point, lower security awareness and posture but also the adversary knows they're low-hanging fruit. And so those two points intersected very nicely or badly, depending on how you want to look at it. Is that uh, awareness coming to the industry in general? I mean, across probably across verticals to companies of that size? 
I know I know they're becoming more aware of the need for security in general. Uh, you know, we're seeing that. But I'm wondering in, in the insurance world, are you seeing the same thing, the awareness increasing, or is this still just us yelling into the darkness? Um, I think there's dawn in that darkness. Um, I, we certainly are improving, and I think there are organizations who are developing awareness. Certainly what, what we see is in that sort of small middle market to middle market class of customer, what we're seeing is, a desire to have better security to get better insurance. And so that's a big driver. And, and so your point at the beginning, what we're seeing is that cyber insurance is a new driver in acquisition of security products because insurance has done a really good job of, of accentuating the importance and also people wanting it and not being able to get it or wanting it and having a premium given into them where they're like, whoa, that's, that's a lot. Maybe I should go and get some security stuff. And so those things, I, I've long believed, you know, putting my finance hat on, that in order for people to, to broadly accept that good security posture is important, we have to drive to financial outcomes and show that business mission and financial outcomes are drivers of security in general. And so that's one of the benefits I think we have now is, is that we have seen that change in the marketplace. And so what, what kind of changes do you see coming over the next 12 to 18 months in that, in that cyber insurance marketplace? Well, enforcement, as, as you call out, right? And I don't know, and that's part of where we're really focused is being able to get with our partners inside the firewall data so that we can, we can have better underwriting data, but also that our carrier partners and, and we underwrite our own risks as well that they can have confidence that we have that right view. And, and I really am a big believer that the more tightly we can wrap that together, the more success we'll have, not only of reducing that risk exposure, both to the insured and the insurers, but also it's, it's like many things. It's like COVID or pneumonia or the flu. I don't want any of those things, right? <laughs> I don't care what it is. <laughs> right? and, and I don't want a cyber attack. And so, and I, I feel like that, that's more of what we can drive to is, is that we can help really reduce that risk exposure and, and, and meaningfully prove. And that's the biggest thing that I think that the insurance world is still slightly dubious. I think a lot of organizations, and you'll read about this, these are uninsurable risks. These are like hurricanes, you know, coming to get us or wildfires. And, and I, I believe that with the right strategies, even for small organizations, the, the, well, the used term, right, defense and death, there are ways for us to protect organizations. It doesn't mean it's zero. It means that we can manage through and reduce, reduce severity and impact of an incident. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. When you say uninsurable, I'm going to go back to, I know you said you, you, you came from a you know, supply chain and risk kind of background. How does supply chain really impact how insurable a company is because there has to be a line where my insurance covers me but doesn't necessarily cover something that happens downstream and this you know we could drop specific incidents over the last three years or the last week in fact right how does how does that supply chain play into what someone can do with their insurance well th this is where there's a lot of worry about this because it comes back to what's referred to as a contingent business risk and and those contingent liabilities so I have a vendor and something happens in my network and now my vendor is, is infected with some malicious piece of code or, or some ransom event or something like that. 
there's responsibility by my insurance policy to provide some remuneration to that organization. And this is where it becomes, it can wrap around itself very quickly because lots of people have those in place. Now, they're not typically the full limit of the policy, but it's enough where that could create a tremendous loss to an insurance company. And so those are the things that, that we're really starting to focus on is how do we manage vendor risk? How do we measure vendor risk? You know, we see organizations now that take vulnerability data through an API, and if they see that you're out of compliance with either patches or other types of security posture, that, that they will actually cut your API connection to, to that organization so that you can't place orders, you can't take data, you're, you're cut off until mm-hmm. you can get right with your security posture. And I think that's, so vendor management, I think, is going to become continually a more important feature as you know, probably to the point you're making, which is so key. And we're, we are all connected now. And that's, that's the biggest fear of all. Yeah, I guess that's, that's a question I have is how, you know, how thorough uh, is the penetration of cyber insurance generally? Because I know like, like with car insurance, there's regulations that you have to have car insurance because it protects everyone from, you know, someone going totally bankrupt and it protects the insurance companies because it's, you know, spread out to everyone. And I have a limit on my policy, but then you also have a policy as the victim. And, you know, there's there's that whole system, that ecosystem that helps make sure that the burden isn't focused or primarily carried by one entity or person. Are we getting to a point where we have enough of this in this interconnected web of companies or, or do we still have a long way to go? Well, we do and we don't, but the, the challenge we have is, is that sort of in those car analogy type scenarios, there, there aren't four and a half million people connected to the same place at the same time that would have the same loss, right? And that's the concern because this is, this is pretty detailed in terms of cyber risk or, or management of insurance, but there are syndications that you, you actually have to reinsure and reinsure and reinsure on the back end. And so, you know, how much reinsurance is there in this world, literally, to be able to manage that level of systemic risk? And that's ultimately the question is, how do we control that? Do we limit it? Which is why organizations are seeing changes where there are caps on systemic losses when we, when we look at overall insurability, because what they're trying to look at is, how do we manage broadly everyone's reinsurance risk on the back end? Right on. Well, I mean, I selfishly like to use these podcasts to improve my knowledge about a bunch of things. And I certainly have learned some stuff today. I, like I said earlier, I totally didn't even consider business continuity being a critical part of the, the insurability and the insurance um, posture of a company. So thanks so much for that, Kirsten. Now, is there anything you want to plug? How do we get in touch with your company? Or how do prospective well, listeners get in touch with your company? Yes, well, com is a great place to find us. And, and you know, I do feel like when we have some of these conversations around systemic risks, particularly, you know, it kind of comes back to this, why do we even bother question? And, and I, and so I want, I, I do want to caution that while we grapple with some big rocks to, that, to crack in terms of, of some of these, these broader mm-hmm. risks, the, the fact is, is that part of where I think this comes back to the security posture and security companies is that we have to show collectively that it's not just, as Adam said at the beginning, not just about a point solution. It's about how are we broadly managing these risks? How do we understand the combination of those products and how they work well together? 
And how do we monitor and provide services? And, and that's the big thing for me is not just having point solutions, but that continuous management. And I think that's how we'll be able to prove more broadly that we can even manage these broad risks, but we can't do it independently and alone. And so those are the things that we really firmly believe in. Oh, that's great. I, I, I love to hear that. I really like um, the way you've encapsulated that. I, I too have learned a lot, even though I've been a customer of cyber insurance for a long time. Uh, I think digging into sort of these, but I, and we got a little esoteric there, right? We got into some deep sort of insurance <laughs> issues, but I like you bringing, bringing it back that, hey, this is a very, very good idea for a company to have. And I wish that we were all at a security posture where, you know, being motivated to increase your security because you need insurance isn't a necessary thing, but I'm glad we also have that. So even though you shouldn't base your security program on what you need to, you know, have better premiums on your insurance, I think it's a good idea to listen to what's being recommended, much like with compliance or any other program. It's all a part of it. So thank you for the work you do to help, um, you know, kind of make us all more secure by, you know, uh, influencing various industries as you uh, have your product out there. Thank you. And, and yeah, and thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much.